Can I listen to your podcast? All right. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Middle School Music, where old school meets new school. I'm Farhan Lalji, and I'm here with Dario DeWet. Dario, how are you doing this morning? I'm great. It's episode five. There we go. We made it to a full full hand of fingers. Five, five fingers, five episodes. There Woo-hoo. you go. Um, so, Dario, what's going on in the music world this week? What's caught your, caught your ear? Oh, man. The, the Netflix show, Rhythm and Flow, has really attracted my attention here. It's like the X factor of hip-hop. Yeah, I, I caught the first episode. Uh, it's uh, a new show with Cardi B, T.I., and Chance the Rapper as judges, the occasional guest judge. The first episode had uh, L.A. as the setting. They found a bunch of MCs. They had uh, some guest judges. Uh, Nipsey made made a, made an appearance, rest in peace. Uh, Snoop was there. Um, the, the artist had some flow. It was, it was a pretty interesting first episode, to be honest. I haven't kind of got that dug in and I haven't kind of followed it up with episode two and the rest. How's the rest of the series been so far? Uh, I'm addicted. I've watched everything up to this point. I think Netflix has been very clever in kind of staggering the release of the episode. So the finale or the last three episodes will be released next week. Um, I think it's been awesome. You know, the individual auditions moved into ciphers, rap battles, and then they got a chance to work with current producers and actually record a song. I think the standout artist for me, really, who I, who I really like, is is D Smoke from uh, Inglewood. Yeah, D Smoke. I, I think he he made an episode. He made an appearance in the first episode. He's the teacher, right? Who raps in English and Spanish? Is that correct? Hundred percent. There we go. Yeah, he's uh he's quite good. He's got flow in both languages. So it's it's interesting to see that maybe this kind of form of discovery, which uh, to be honest, isn't a new form of discovery, right? Like, I mean, artists have come up through reality TV in the past. It's just kind of new for hip hop. I agree. And I think what's what's particularly interesting is if you look at the way the judges analyze their performances, you see Cardi B is looking for someone who's commercial. T.I. is looking for somebody, you know, who's got a, the, the specific craft. I think they, that T.I. and Chance, in my opinion, are trying to change the narrative away from the likes of SoundCloud rappers and more towards what was traditionally used uh, by A&Rs to assess uh, who really is... Uh, uh, a talent. Almost those true MCs, right? Like going back to the craft of building up a story, being able to tell a story, the the old days of your Slick Rick and, you know, kind of going down to your Rakim and, and then kind of evolving. I think we kind of went off the path for in some rapper's perspective. And now it looks like these guys are trying to bring that back. Yeah, I think you're spot on. And and what is really interesting about the whole show is that a lot of, of uh, upcoming artists, they they tend to copy the flows and images or image of a lot of current artists and I think what's really cool about the show is that it gives an opportunity for people to break away from that. Uh, unfortunately, obviously people do kind of come through because they follow specific commercial trends, but it will be nice to see who inevitably takes the crown and uh, sets up season two. Yeah, great stuff. I mean, that could be uh, a deep dive on its own, talking about kind of how the evolution of music discovery from ARs to television or something else. Maybe we should put up a poll and see if that's something of interest to the listeners. Um, but what is our one big thing? We're gonna, we are going to deep dive into a topic. Uh, I think we teased it last week around China. Do you want to tell the listeners a little bit more about what we're going to be talking about in a few minutes? Yes. So we're going to talk about the piracy-riddled Chinese audio markets. Fantastic. Um, you know, you, you're a bit of an expert in this space, so I'm going to let you do most of the driving when it comes to that topic. And, uh, you know, hopefully I can learn a couple of things there, too. And of course, today's Friday. You might be listening to this on Sunday, Monday or Tuesday, uh, but we record this on a Friday. 
because we also get New Music Friday released with Spotify coming out with a new playlist or refreshed playlist every Friday. Uh, so we'll talk about that and, and talk about some of our uh, guilty pleasures and other music that we're listening to as well. Let's get this thing started. All right. So, Dario, we're talking about the Chinese music market and audio market this week. Um, you've got some history kind of researching and, and looking at the Chinese tech market. Do you want to tell the listeners a little bit about your background and, and why this space kind of really fascinates you? I do. So I first got interested in the Chinese space when I wrote my finance master's, which was a dissertation focusing on Tencent's IPO. Really a case study uncovering its IPO story and how the business went from origination right through to its listing in 2004. The real idea there was to uncover the strategic and financial considerations behind how the business grew from strength to strength and has become such a force to be reckoned with. I think what's super awesome about it today is that Tencent has evolved from what was traditionally a value-added services company to a gaming company, and now with Tencent Music Entertainment coming to the forefront, originating in 2016 and IPOing uh, last year, 2018, on the New York Stock Exchange, that has met my interest in, in the music and music tech space and creates a, a perfect environment or opportunity to really unpack what's so fascinating about the uh, Chinese music space. Yeah, I don't think anybody back in 2004 or even 2010 or even really 2012, uh, after I had left Yahoo and we had a, a stake in, um, in you know, Yahoo Japan, but also in Alibaba and other kind of Chinese entities or Asian entities, I don't think anybody really saw kind of the, the emergence in the form that it's taken, right? You've got the emergence of Ant Financial, you've got the emergence of WeChat, um, Alipay, all of these kind of instruments that the Chinese market has been really, really innovative in its approach to all the different verticals that we would think of, right? In terms of how it's looking at sport, what's its tie-ins with the NBA. I mean, recently we had a controversy in the NBA and you know where one of the GMs commented about the Hong Kong protests. And that's really caused the NBA to worry now about their bottom line. So the Chinese market um, is showing its almost tentacles in terms of its impact in all various industries. And music is one of those kind of major industries that China's playing a part in. I couldn't agree more. And, you know, the, the kind of origins of the, the interest of music, particularly for the likes of Tencent, really kind of its roots are laid with, with mobile ringtones and ringback tones, or RBTs, which while they generated little trade earnings for rights holders, um, it became a great income source for MNOs or mobile network operators. Um, and over time, you know, this has transformed into the likes of what we all have come to know uh, the modern streaming era and just uh, commercial music experience and access to com digital audio. That's really interesting. I mean, I think, you know, last week we talked about the evolution of piracy in the Western market in terms of going from Columbia Records to being able to uh, rip CDs into MP3s. Um, so are you kind of suggesting that actually the fact that music kind of played a part from a digital perspective in ringtones and mobile devices kind of has led to some of the evolution in terms of how the Chinese view music. Um, just to understand that, so, you know, kind of ringtones and all of these other, you know, kind of routes to audio that the MNOs and other providers were providing, were these charged for services? And, and what was the payment model? Were these kind of like, you know, pennies per kind of uh, stream or pennies per download, and then you would use those as ringtones? Or were these like subscription type services? 
Yeah, so you would normally pay for it. I think in the Western market, you, a good example where, you know, um, I know we had it in South Africa. I'm sure you had it in Canada at the time where you could get popular songs in ringtone format mm. and you would pay um, sometimes one-off and in some cases these kind of sneaky subscription models right. where you'd download a, a ringtone and all of a sudden you've subscribed and without opting out, you do, they're just siphoning some cash out weekly. And if you're not in charge of your phone bill, that would lead to some some interesting conversations. Yeah, it's funny. We talked about the uh, one of the first kind of instances where somebody was uh, you know kind of taking uh, CBS or uh, Columbia Records for a ride. Um, I'm guessing you know that was the same with the ringtone market where kids would subscribe on their mobile phone. Parents think, yeah, I'm going to give you a mobile phone. Next thing you know, parents are getting riddled with these bills for all these ringtones. I got to say, that's one of the things I'm dreading as my daughter gets close to that age where we're thinking about, okay, how, at what age does she get her own mobile phone? That makes sense. So I think what's super important to understand here is that every single music service operating in China has its roots in a pirated model. So what do I mean by that? Well, in China, music services would acquire audio files and metadata from non-label sources. So how would they do that? They would do this via in-house content farms, and those content farms would literally troll the internet and download the music they require, sometimes even using the dark net without licensing. They would use a combination of crawler software to siphon large quantities of audio files off the internet. They would download those files via sheer manual labor from internet sources, like most of us would do, and um, they would use that to populate a library. And in that sense, then, they would provide those tracks commercially to the masses. And Baidu, which is, you know, was previously considered one of the top three internet giants in China, exploited the works of musicians for their own profit. So whilst they, they publicly, they went public and um, they were supposedly endorsed by major labels. However, there was speculation that um, suggests that Baidu actually paid off major labels to quote unquote, turn a blind eye while they pirated music of artists. And the biggest issue here was that they were typically doing it with non-major artists. It's interesting. It almost sounds like it's like Napster at scale, right? The manual Turk of going into the dark web or going into other sources, downloading these pirated files, uploading them and then making them available, um, doesn't feel like it would be uh, something that the West would kind of appeal to. I mean, the Western market feels more like the peer-to-peer side of things where individuals are ripping and individuals are streaming and putting it up. Whereas the Chinese market, it almost feels like um, it's being uh, corporatized and you're getting these large brands that are actually investing through semi-legitimate means, right, in the Chinese kind of corporate market in terms of, you know, they would raise capital, they would possibly be listed on stock markets, and yet they would be kind of operating at this pirate level because kind of the legality of that type of exercise in China is, you know, kind of gray to say the least. Yeah, I mean, you've, you've seen it in the Western market, and we mentioned this a couple episodes back with Peloton. Mm. They found it a, a hassle to get music licensing, so they just thought, oh, well, you know, we'll just uh, use the music illegally. Yeah, and it's interesting to see how that evolves, right? So in the same way that Zumba was grabbing music and making compilations, and now artists, uh, including Daddy Yankee this week, you know, kind of is still mentioning Zumba in a new track, <laughs> and you've got Peloton as well. I'm sure the artists now are thinking about, will this play on a Peloton-type environment, right? Is this something that the jockeys on their bikes are going to want to kind of play for their audiences? 
I'm wondering, are you seeing the same kind of thing in the Chinese market where in the same way that we're seeing with other media in terms of films, right? I mean, you and I have had this conversation uh, about uh, other movies that do terribly in North America and do really, really well in China, almost like it was engineered that way. Are you seeing something similar in the music space? So in the music space, look, there are certain artists that tend to do much better in, in, in China or at least in Southeast Asia. I know Charlie XCX seems to have a really strong following in China and has built out uh, sort of her proposition to focus more on that market, uh, despite having a, a you know, relatively strong fan base in, in Western markets. I know 30 Seconds to Mars in their most recent release also has uh, re-uploaded or in inverted commas, remixed mm -hmm. some of the existing tracks to include Southeast Asian artists. Now, I'm not talking specifically in terms of China here, but you know, taking a step back, if you look at the 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 Chinese uh, music ecosystem, this is kind of prior to Tencent Music. There, there are a maximum between 250,000 to 300,000 commercially viable Chinese songs, which meant that for any expansion to take place in that system, they would need to. Um, acquire international music. Now, the other problem is an infrastructural play because most Chinese music services are unable to process XML or DDEX formats or to ingest those formats. Um, and that makes it harder for international distributors to tap into these music services directly. So so that's a, the technical piece there is kind of important, right? So the XML to the, the libraries side, I believe that the technical rationale for that is, and we've kind of discovered this in doing a new podcast, um, you create an RSS or an XML feed, and then the streaming services will pick up. So whenever you add music to that feed, they're able to pull it wherever you're hosting it. I'm guessing in the Chinese market, they're unable to use XML because they want all the music stored locally. They want access to that. I guess they're kind of um, you know fearful of people putting messages in audio. So having that control on the technical level, um, and this is pure speculation, uh, that might be part of the rationale behind why they're not leveraging XML more in order to uh, allow artists to control their own feeds and control their own music. The Chinese market um, famously kind of wants to have that control in when it comes to all technologies, right? So if you are building on AWS or Amazon Web Services, in the UK, uh, you will need to have a Chinese installation, um, whether it's with Alibaba Cloud or AliCloud or whatever, but it needs to be in the Chinese market where the Chinese government and the Chinese regulators can kind of manage control at least at an arm's length and they know that it's not sitting somewhere else. I think there is that kind of continued fear um, and I'm pretty sure that audio is kind of falling into that same pattern that we've seen in other technology industries as well. Yeah, and it isn't about the music per se. Music is typically used as a Trojan horse to draw traffic, divert the consumer's attention to other value-added services and to monetize on the back of those. Now, if you look at how the Chinese internet ecosystem has typically operated or their revenue models, it's those value-added services which is what made Tencent, the group, so successful to begin with. That's really interesting because we've seen this evolution in the West now where artists are kind of looking for alternative ways to monetize, right? Whether it's through merchandise, whether it's through performances, whether it's through uh, partnering with Fortnite and having a live gig on Fortnite. And I guess kind of the Chinese market has always been in that sense, kind of looking for the other monetization and almost having the music itself as a marketing channel into other sources. But can you talk a little bit about what those others are in terms of the Chinese market? What are they marketing in terms of, um, they're using mar music to market, to enable the consumer to purchase what? 
per se? Yeah, so that's a very interesting question. I'm glad you asked it. So you could answer that in, in almost two parts. So if we take it back to traditionally, this is prior to Tencent Music Entertainment, uh, you would have the likes of value-added services, which most would be familiar with today here, but uh, you would look at you know ringtones, ringback tones. Um, it might be... Um, could be like wallpapers well, and exactly. things like that. Exactly. Gotcha. Uh, you know, specific um, points of differentiation that separates you or your socioeconomic class from others, oh. uh, which is hyper-contextual to the Chinese market. And that would perhaps be skins for QQ. Right. It could perhaps be uh, what we refer to now as emojis, but back then, uh, you know, you would you would use other file formats. Um, yeah, you'd have like, now we've got stickers and stuff here in the UK and in, in Western markets, I'm guessing that's been kind of happening in China for some time. Yes, and I mean, it's just kind of, Taking it back, and, and Farhan, I would, I'd love your opinion on this because I know when it came to the South African mobile market, uh, typically when we had the feature phone, there would be these booklets that the uh, cell phone stores would publish, and they were free, and you would take one, and this is typically where they caught you on those sneaky subscription models, but you know they would offer top 20 ringtones, whether it be polyphonic or not, they would offer you, when you would, could send somebody a text message, and when you scrolled down, it would be of like a text symbols of perhaps a bear hugging you and saying, I love you, um, and we're, we're, we're pretty popular back then, and that was what was very much at the forefront of of the the, the Chinese value-added services space. You know, it also trickles down into the likes of gaming, but I don't really want to open up that can of worms here because we could, we could talk about that for hours and I think it will detract away from the core message. Yeah, sure. I mean, um, so funnily enough, um, you know, I didn't get my first proper proprietary mobile phone until I was in the UK. So I actually moved to the UK and then got my first device. Um, so I remember like in the late 90s, early 2000s, you had ringtones that then got so popular that they turned into music, almost the other way around. So you had Crazy Frog, which everybody was downloading as a ringtone. And all of a sudden, the Crazy Frog brand had kind of grown to the point where they were actually releasing music. Um, you know, the Crazy Frog song then became something of a chart success, but it started off as a ringtone. So you had it the other way around in that people were kind of experimenting with the ringtones. And then if there was popularity, it could bleed into music. And I guess kind of in the Chinese market, it was almost the other way around where people were making music. And then that music was turning into other things that customers could buy. Dario, switching gears a little bit, I'm curious in terms of how the Chinese consumer actually engages with music. Uh, in the UK, in the US, in Canada, in the Western markets, in Europe, we use Spotify, we'll use iTunes, we'll use you know, kind of SoundCloud and some of these other kind of streaming channels. Can you tell us a little bit about the streaming experience from a Chinese consumer's perspective? Yes, so the streaming experience in China has really been revolutionized by Tencent Music's uh, commercialization. So Tencent Music is the largest online music entertainment platform in China, and it's an all-in-one music entertainment destination. Now, what makes it so unique is that its ecosystem is highly engaging, social, and deemed fun. Now, it's essentially uh, multi-pronged. So the social interaction element sits with online music, online karaoke, and live streaming. So for the listener or for the user, you can discover music, you can listen to music, you can sing to music or lip sync in the same way that Musical.ly or uh, TikTok does. So similar to what we've seen with like WeChat, 
where it integrates kind of payment, it integrates social, it integrates maybe education, all of these kind of elements coming together. What you're saying is kind of Tencent music is taking all of the different kind of elements that music might touch, that a user might experience or use music in all of these different ways, and it's bringing into a consolidated channel? Spot on. So social interactions such as sharing, liking, commenting, following, and even virtual gifting are deeply integrated into their products. And they're highly complementary to that core music experience. So what that does is it obviously enhances the user experience, their engagement, and inevitably customer attention. It's interesting that the Chinese market tends to kind of go that way with a lot of different media, right? Or a lot of different social experiences, where it almost tries to tie in all the different end-to-end consumer propositions or what the consumer wants to do on that channel. So anything related to music, would the, the individual want to create an animated GIF of this video, right? You're not kind of going to a Twitter-type resource to kind of share that or going on WhatsApp or any of these others. If you're creating it and it touches music, it looks like Tencent is trying to get you to stay on that one channel and do everything related to music on that channel. Completely. You know, the daily active user, according to their Q2 2018 statistics, spent over 70 minutes per day on average on this platform. Um, and what makes it even better is that it's got China's most comprehensive library of music content. So that's both recorded music, live music, as well as audio and visual. So there are around 200 million tracks from around 200 plus domestic and international music labels. Now, let me just highlight that difference there. Earlier on, we were talking about how international music labels were taken advantage of and that traditionally established and in some cases publicly listed Chinese companies were taking advantage of those relationships. But this has completely changed. Tencent Music has relationships with the likes of Sony, Universal Music Group, Warner Music, the China Record Group, Empower Entertainment, and the, the list goes on. It's so simple because the user, all they need to do is they can sign up, they can create their own content, they can sing along, they can create short videos, they can live stream. And then what, what Tencent Music does is they take that user data and they develop new products. So in that case, it's almost the next step for them is developing their own technology to, to monitor and protect copyright. That's really fascinating. So instead of using Vine, YouTube, uh, Spotify, TikTok, uh, WhatsApp, anything related to the interaction between people and the interaction with music, you're finding that all in one kind of distribution platform in terms of what Tencent Music's doing. And it's really interesting that you get kind of one relationship between Tencent Music and the labels, and then you're able to extend and kind of do so much with that one label, right? So for example, um, when Tencent Music has a relationship with Bieber's label, right, and now all of these uh, young women or young men are doing stuff with you know kind of a new Bieber song, whether it's recording an acoustic kind of karaoke type version, whether it's sending a sticker to a friend, whether it's doing a little video dance of themselves dancing to that song. All of that stuff is all contained within Tencent Music. Is that right? It is. And I think, you know, a point to highlight here, though, is that WeChat is, is owned by Tencent, of course. Right. So that ecosystem is enhanced even further, whereas in the West, we have such a fragmented ecosystem where, sure, you have like, you know, Spotify, you can use a Spotify song in an Instagram story, or you can quote some Reddit and Snapchat, uh, but it, it, it fails, it, the kind of the ecosystem fails to really... Um, to really grow organically. I think Apple is probably the closest um, brand to be able to do that. And as we were talking about yesterday, 
the, the downfall of that though is that it's technically the premium consumer. Yeah, it's really interesting that you mentioned the word ecosystem, right? Because I think in the West, the ecosystem is really multiple players and the consumer knows that actually when I want to record this video of myself, I'm going to TikTok. When I want to publish this other video of some content I've made, I'm going to YouTube. When I want to share this with people who are my close friends, I'm going to WhatsApp. When I want to share this with people to kind of build my own brand, whether it's an image on Instagram or whether it's content on Twitter, right? The user is really kind of defining where they're going. And then that data is really broken up. I mean, Facebook has tried to kind of integrate Instagram, WhatsApp, and Facebook data. But beyond that, you know, Google is not going to give YouTube data to either Apple or Facebook because it competes with them in that market. Whereas Tencent with their relationship with WeChat, with their relationship with other brands and, and um, uh, labels as well, they're able to give that label a much richer data experience in order to say these are what people are actually doing with the music and the artists in our country, in our market. I love that you mentioned data because data and technology is their secret source. They have strong AI capabilities and the group has made a real concerted effort here as their point of differentiation. Now that's very much in alignment with China's goal to be an AI powerhouse, I think by 2025 or 2030. There are hundreds of proprietary audio settings that Tencent Music offers, and that is to deliver a superior listening experience. So you have QQ Music, Supersound, uh, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna butcher this, but I'll try and pronounce for you, Kugu, Viper, and We Sing Super Voice were all developed by Tencent alone. Mm -hmm. Now. We don't really have high quality audio experiences in, in the Western markets, with the exception now of Amazon Music. Yeah, Amazon's doing their HD music uh, kind of distribution play. Um, how much that's going to get picked up, what the quality of those kind of tracks are going to be compared to the Chinese platforms, that's still kind of a wait and see situation for us as consumers. So again, the West is looking to the East in terms of innovation where we were actually in the driving seat to begin with, all right? And it's actually really awesome because you look at other forms of innovation for Tencent Music, they have created pr proprietary music recognition technology just like Shazam and have real-time content monitoring systems to scan the platform and most importantly to detect copyright infringement because they're really cracking down on this. You see, the biggest issue with copyright in China is that most people aren't really two-phased about infringing on copyright because the maximum uh, kind of payout in damages for, for stealing a track or using it in an unauthorized manner is around 70,000 US dollars. So, and in, in most cases, or in real cases, uh, the amount of compensation uh, is, is even lower. Um, so, uh, you know, unfortunately, it, it doesn't really put the the doesn't protect the best interests of the artists. And I think that Tencent Music in particular is, is trying to change that. I mean, they're trying to change that in terms of how much reward the artists and the labels are actually able to uh, accrue from that consumer. But at the same time, I don't think they're trying to kind of necessarily change that behavior from the consumer's perspective, right? In the same way that Spotify made it easier to access music digitally um, and made it so that, you know, I spend my 10 pounds a month and I get access to all of this music as somebody who's a high-end music user, in the same way, you know, kind of what is the kind of payout threshold that a consumer is willing to pay to stop them from going to a piracy-driven kind of marketplace? 
And so in the Chinese market, you've got lower socioeconomic status for a lot of consumers. So for them, the amount that they're willing to actually pay to actually consume this from a digital service is probably much, much lower, right? So for Tencent and for the labels, they have to think creatively around how they actually engage that consumer to derive maximum value. Completely. And I think I, I want to just highlight how the the content sourcing arrangements work here. So these contracts with labels are typically one to three years in length. Um, you know, as I mentioned earlier, they have over 200 domestic and international labels. That's very important here because historically it was domestic pipeline was, um, was throttled or limited and international pipeline was almost non-existent in a legal manner. So it's, these contracts are based on a minimum guaranteed licensing fee and revenue sharing incentive royalties. So those amounts will depend on the type of content, the popularity of performers, relationships with licenses. And those payments are generally made in installments through the duration of those licenses. So one thing to also highlight is that you know TME has long-term arrangements with several online music platforms in China to cross-license. So they essentially own own the pie. I think the most recent um, relationship uh, Tencent Music signed was on October 11th, so around a week ago, where TuneCore, um, is, which is a global distribution platform that pays 100% out to artists when they earn from digital streams and revenues, has just signed a relationship with, um, with Tencent Music. Yeah, and then it goes to a per stream kind of payout kind of perspective, right? Because at the same time, if the per stream volumes are lower, right, that that's probably how you can enable 100% of that stream revenue to go to the 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 actual kind of um, artist or even the label that then pays out a fraction of that to the artist after they've re recouped some of their artist relationship kind of costs in terms of the promotion side, right? So I think it's really interesting to see that evolution in terms of how do you balance out when the per stream revenue is so low? And I'm sure actually, you know, we were talking last week about YouTube and their per stream volumes. It's interesting to see that maybe some of the ways that they can actually engage labels and engage artists by actually creating new versions, new streaming technologies, new actual experiences for the consumer might be other ways for them to monetize in different channels. Um, and it's interesting because you're seeing, you know, our big kind of whatever you want to call them, the FANG or, you know, all of those companies you've got. We've talked about Amazon. We've talked about Google, you know, with YouTube and that channel. Um, Facebook is also doing some really interesting things uh, towards kind of that music experience, right, or kind of hosting that. Can you talk a little bit about the relationship maybe between Facebook and um, how they are perceived by people like Tencent? Sure. So Tencent Music actually highlights in its IPO prospectus that its biggest global rival is in fact Facebook because no other Western streaming service benefits from the direct ownership of such a sprawling and influential social network. That being that Facebook, despite the Cambridge Analytica scandal and privacy and Zuckerberg's opinions on a variety of things, has reported you know, around 2.5 billion monthly active users across all of its apps. And that was just over a year ago. Yeah, I think it's really uh, critical to mention when we're talking about Facebook, we're not just talking about the actual kind of Facebook experience. We're talking about the Instagram experience. We're talking about the WhatsApp experience. In the same way that earlier we were talking about, you know, kind of Tencent having the WeChat relationship and being able to leverage that. In the same way, Facebook having the ownership of Instagram and WhatsApp is able to potentially leverage that from a user experience perspective. Yeah, and you know, Facebook has signed licensing deals with some of the biggest labels publishers and collecting societies and they've been developing several native music applications 
including its own karaoke-like app called Lip Sync Live. But, you know, I think with the rise of, of ByteDance's TikTok mm. and Zuckerberg's comments, which clearly highlight that he doesn't understand TikTok, you know, he said it's like the Explorer tab on Instagram. The question is, is Zuckerberg getting too old to actually understand the young consumer and how they engage with media now? It's very deep. Maybe we should put that on our Twitter page and see what people think. <laughs> there, there's our second poll for today. Uh, great stuff, Daria. So I think we've probably given the listener a lot to kind of digest and a lot to think about when it comes to Tencent music, when it comes to the Chinese consumer, when it comes to the relationships between uh, big American brands and European brands in terms of Spotify and how those kind of engage and how those reflect comparatively to the Chinese brands. Anything else that, that you think the, the, the listener should be uh, informed of? Uh, I could talk about this for days, so please contact me and pick my brain. I think something that's very important which to wrap a bow around this whole thing is uh, the use of click farms in China is very prominent. This is not just across the music space. Um, you know, taking it back to Legitary, which is the company we reviewed last week, and this fraud in streaming data, it's a big problem in China. And uh, that's just something to keep an eye on. So uh, go and uh, troll Google or, or contact me via the socials and, and we can chat about it further. I think that's a great point. Um, you know, we do kind of our day jobs is to look at technology. And one of the things that I've kind of um, from listening to you have kind of discovered is that the Chinese market probably plays in the same way when it comes to music that it does from a finance perspective or when it comes to other media like movies and, and other technologies. It's interesting to see how integrated an experience is, how integrated all the data sources are and that customer experience, while it might differ from a brand perspective or a user experience perspective, at the end of the day, there's very few Chinese companies that are actually leveraging and getting all the, the individual data around kind of whether it comes to streaming or experience or sharing. So Dario, this week we've kind of gone deep on Tencent Music, so I don't think we really need to kind of cover off another startup or another emerging technology play in music. But look out for future episodes where we will kind of go back to covering new technology in the music space. It's Friday today as we're recording this. Uh, so yeah, so that means there's been another New Music Friday release from Spotify. Um, we've also been listening to a variety of different music this week. So why don't you tell the good listeners what you've been listening to this week? Yeah, so I just want to start off by saying Kanye West still didn't release his album. Okay. <laughs> the Kanye clock continues. Um, so for me, big disappointments. I said last week that this week was going to be a great Friday for new music. The game's final album, Born to Rap, which was meant to be released today, has been postponed to the beginning of November. Uh, that's got features from the likes of Ed Sheeran and a variety of other interesting artists. Um, the Yellow Wolf's first independent release on Samaritan has also been pushed back at the beginning of November, which Farhan, I find quite interesting because, you know, he would criticize Shady Records for pushing back the album. And then when you're independent, you finish recording the album at the beginning of August and you have it, you decide to push it back yourself. It's a bit hypocritical. Heavy is the head that wears the crown, right? I mean, I think it's one thing to be almost kind of a, a, an artist on a label and then critiquing the label. And then when it goes to the flip side where you're actually responsible for releasing your own music and then realizing, uh, actually, not quite ready yet, going to push this back. And, and then you realize, actually, you know, the labels or other artists or other producers that are working with you have many hats to wear. And they're probably thinking about lots of different things when they release. Who else is being released that week? What is the market like at this time? When you're an artist, you just want to get the music out. When you're a label or when you're a distributor, you're thinking about a lot of other market dynamics. And I'm guessing that's what's kind of happening to Yellow Wolf now. 
Yeah, I think you're right. Um, if you if you want to listen more, go and check out his Hotel EP online or Love Story you'll find on Spotify or Apple Music. Great album. Kind of uh, rap country or rap rock. Um, other standout release is g Easy's Scary Nights EP. It's an eight-track EP. Standout track right now, I haven't listened to the whole thing, is Demons and Angels featuring Miguel and the Game. I, I don't particularly like his uh, track titled A Very Strange Time. That's a play on the hook from the Pixies' Where Is My Mind. Mm, interesting. I actually like the the full-time ca- uh, cappers uh, from that album. So the G-Eazy featuring Moneybag Yo and French Montana. Um, the users will probably... Uh, uh, yeah, the listeners will probably see a trend of anything French Montana. <laughs> I'm kind of down for that. Um, the other stuff that I've been listening to this week, another new Jimmy Eat World track, 555 has come out. Still not kind of as strong as the middle, but it's interesting to see that they're still continuing to release uh, new music. I was in that same kind of vein going from like older artists that are continuing to pump out new music. Uh, Gangstar has got a new track as well called Bad Name. Uh, have heard it a couple times this morning already, and I am definitely feeling that. Cool. I see that uh, for the real hip-hop heads, Griselda, which is West Side Gun, Conway, and Benny the Butcher. Uh, the New Yorkers will know who these guys are. Uh, strong lyricists, you know, they're the, they're the true essence of what hip-hop was in the 90s. They've released a track called uh, Dr. Birds. You should check that out. Their Shady Records debut is on November 29th. Now, it's not what you think it is in terms of commercial hip-hop, so take a listen, and uh, we'd love to hear your feedback. And continuing on that kind of vibe of artists that have been around with some new music, Kano, who we know from Top Boy uh, as an actor, he's gone back to his grime rapping roots, and he's re- he's released a version of his old track, P's and Q's, but he's done it live from Abbey Road Studio, and it's a great, great track. I can't even tell if it's a real band and orchestra kind of playing with him or a track Behind him, I'm guessing in the studio, he may have had a mix of that, but it's a really, really great version of, of kind of his old classic uh, P's and Q's. So I was, I was glad to see that. Um, there's also a new track featuring Wiz Khalifa by an artist called Famous Dex called Proofread. Uh, that's also on the New Music Friday playlist. I have heard that a couple times this morning as well, and I'm kind of feeling uh, Wiz. I really like Wiz Khalifa. I wish he had made more music. So it was nice for him to, to see him kind of on a new track uh, as well. Yeah, he's underrated, isn't he? I mean, I remember Black and Yellow in 2010. Definitely. That was the, that was before kind of the, the the boom where everyone would just repeat the hook Definitely. for four minutes. I remember listening to that song thinking, what the hell's this? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Wiz was kind of an innovator, but I think he had some depth. And, and definitely on this track, Proofread, he kind of goes back to some lyricism. Uh, so it was kind of quite interesting to listen to uh, this week. There's also some great new artists. Um, I am a, a kind of pop dance DJ fan. So in the vein of your... Uh, Snake Snake Lips and your Major Laser. There's an, a DJ crew from LA called Lost Kings. Uh, they've got a new track called uh, Somebody Out There with Mark E. Bassey. Uh, I'm feeling that track as well as there is a British singer from Brighton now in London called Grace Carter. If you like Maggie Rogers, but with a bit more soul, her track Fired Up is a really, really good listen. And then... I have to also kind of give a shout out to Katy Perry, who's got a new track called Harley's in Hawaii. I'm not sure how I kind of feel about this track just yet, but there was a rhyme that I had to highlight where she talked about doing the hula and she rhymed (laughs) it with going to a jula. Uh, (laughs) So I thought that was kind of quite a a funny uh, lyric 
uh, in that song. So I'll give Katy Perry a shout out on this week's New Music Friday as well. Farhan, tell me, what is the, the album that you've been listening to this week? Oh, you know what? I actually did play uh, the Post Malone uh, album, End to End. There is a song that hasn't been on any playlists uh, with SZA, uh, which I think is fire. Uh, I really like SZA. I really like Post Malone. The kind of contrast in their voices together, I think there's a really good compliment there between the two of them. So I'm still enjoying the, the Post Malone album. Revenge of the Dream is three which is an album by Dreamville and J. Cole. Really, really cool. Um, a lot of great features on there. Um, just kind of reminiscent of, uh, of a different time of hip-hop. Great stuff. So we started with uh, Rhythm and Flow, and we're ending with a great time in hip-hop. So I think we've kind of come full circle. We took the trip out to China in the middle uh, and pulled it back. So thank you, everyone, for listening to this episode of... Uh, middle School Music, where old school meets new school. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at MDLSKL underscore music. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Farhan Lalji. Dario, where can the good listeners find you? You can find me on Twitter on at Dario underscore Devet with a W. So we're going to try something new. Uh, in the next couple of weeks, we might start recording every other week uh, just because we're coming close to the year end. There's a bunch of stuff in terms of half term in the UK where a lot of people take holidays as well. So we might not be releasing every week, but bear with us. That will give us enough content to make sure that the next episode is a great one. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you soon. Bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Ciao. <laughs> Arrivederci. <laughs> Can I listen to your podcast?